Blog Talk Radio. Guys, Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to our 308th podcast. We've got a great show for you this evening. Our special guest is Jonathan Astley. He is a personal development coach who spe- specializes in dating and relationships and, uh, and also midlife love mastery. So we're going to bring him on in a few minutes. Um, let's get started. Um, welcome to the show. Today is September 6th. We're doing the show on Thursday night because uh, we had Labor Day this week. I usually do the show on Wednesday and Sundays, but with uh, <clears throat> this week, we're doing it on Thursday because we had some off time. And now next week, we've got actually here in New York, we've got two holidays. We've got two days off for Rosh Hashanah, Monday and Tuesday. So there's a four-day weekend coming up. And um, we're going to do shows next week on Tuesday and Wednesday. But as you know, all of our Guys Guys Radio podcasts, Guys Guys Radio, the place where when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. They're all on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, and TuneIn Radio. So you can catch any of the 308 and counting podcasts there and listen on demand. So I hope you do. Now, let's, let's just start a little bit because I haven't talked about this for a while. I was away this summer. We did a series of pre-recorded shows, but let's get back to basics. The whole guys, guys movement began with my novel, the guys, guys, guy to love, which is kind of a been called the men's sex in the city. Um, men telling women how men are and how they roll Two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. And from there, uh, I started writing my blog on Robert Manny.com M A N N I.com. And from there, we started Guys Guys Radio, and we have a series of relationship coaches, and then we got into all areas that can help men be at their very best and also help women understand guys and also be at their very best also so everybody wins. So we have relationship coaches. We have a lot of wellness uh, experts. We have spiritual teachers. We have a lot of authors. We've had some fantasy sports people on, comedians, some show business people, and we've got a great lineup for the fall. I'm booked all the way into uh, mid-November now, and I've got a stack of books and proposals here for potential guests. So we've really picked up steam. So I want to thank my audience for sticking with us as we, you know, the growth is slow. There's a lot of podcasters on. There's a lot of good podcasts. So I thank you for your time and, uh, and helping us grow and supporting the work we're doing here because this work is positive. We want to help people. This is not a show where, you know, we're arguing about stuff. We want to bring on good guests who have a positive message. I got um, uh, connected with Jonathan, who's going to be our guest this evening through uh, another uh, guest who's been here a few times, and I've been on her podcast. That's Suzanne Oshima, and she runs uh, Single and Stilettos, and she is a, I guess you'd call her a dating coach, matchmaker, and uh, podcast host. And um, she suggested that Jonathan would be a great guest and she gave me some other names and I'm always looking for new people. And it's also nice to have guys on the show who are in the uh, personal development area and also who uh, help both men, but also help women understand guys and uh, how to kind of navigate midlife dating, because it seems, you know, nowadays 50% of married people get divorced. So it's a, it's a fact of life now. And a lot of folks really have a, they trip a lot coming out of the starting blocks when they're, when they're getting back into the game and it makes it tough sometimes. So we've got a great guest who's uh, done a lot of great work and he has a really good personal story that we'll get into a little bit. He, he lost a child and uh, he has some postings on that on his website and it's really turned me on and moved me when I uh, watched him uh, and just could relate to it because I have a, a five-year-old son and he lost his son and I was like, wow, my heart was breaking and I could imagine what feelings I would have going through it. And he's done a fantastic job. And I think uh, Jonathan sharing that with people can help them if they ever uh, have the unfortunate uh, experience of losing a child. 
which many people do. So we're going to get to Jonathan in a couple of minutes. Let's real, talk real quick about what else is going on. Tonight is the first NFL game. So it's good. Guys and women are watching football. Football is the perfect game for the TV. You know, it's uh, the field fits the TV screen perfectly. It's very colorful. It's a pretty simple game to follow. Obviously, when you get into the deeper strategies and the cover zone and different ways of playing defense and setups and free safety and strong safety and all of that, it becomes more complicated like anything else, like skiing or like chess or sailing. The more you do it, the more the game opens up tennis also, the more, game, the more the game opens up to you. So it starts tonight. It's the Atlanta Falcons and the world champion Philadelphia Eagles who somehow managed to beat the, those Patriots, uh, Belichick and Brady, last year in the Super Bowl. It was a great game. And uh, so usually uh, uh, what happens is the winning team of the Super Bowl is featured in the first game. And they're playing the Atlanta Falcons, who's a really good team, and I think they have a good shot against the Super Bowl this year. So that starts in a little while. Um, here we are in September. In New York City, we're in the middle of a mega heat wave. And uh, it just is breaking like now. It started to rain about 15 minutes ago, and then it stopped. But the temperatures have been in the 90s pretty solidly for the last couple of weeks. It's been crazy. And I actually, I dropped my son off. He started kindergarten yesterday and I uh, had some time today and I went for a run around Central Park. I do the 6.2 mile around loop. I got to tell you, it was hot out there today. It was hot. I went in the morning, you know, early morning, but it was still baking hot out there and there was no wind and uh, humid. And when it gets hot in New York, it's a special kind of hot because you do get a lot of humidity and you don't get a lot of wind and it's just sticky and soupy. And uh, I know there's lots of other places where it's a lot hotter and a lot more humid all year round, but New York, uh, you know, has a, we, we have our garbage and everything else to deal with. So, uh, and the subways and everything. So when it gets hot here down in those subway stations, I got to tell you, I was down on like the B train 34th street a couple of days ago. It was it must have been 100 degrees down there, and it takes a while to cool those tubes off. So New Yorkers are tough, 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 tough. That's what Mick Jagger said and shattered, right? you got to be tough to make it in New York, and it's true. Uh, having been away for a good portion of the summer, I was down the Jersey Shore with my son. He took swimming. I'm working on a, a, a nonfiction book about helping people kind of find their way in this crazy world and crazy time we live in. And uh, so I was away for about five weeks. And then I went away to, uh, with my family, we went out to San Diego for another two weeks. And, you know, not being in the city, uh, first of all, very quickly, I forgot about it, which was great. And uh, then when you get back, you realize the state of paranoia that people are in and how it's, uh, people are great here, but they're not as friendly for whatever reason. They're very competitive, even in their speaking. When you talk to somebody and you tell them what you're doing, invariably people have something better that they're doing, whatever, but that's just New York and you, you get used to it. But then when you go someplace else and people are like, they're friendlier and roll a little bit better, like in Southern California, uh, particularly down South, like the LA is kind of like New York now because there's so many people from Chicago and New York there that the attitude is it's, it's West coast, but it's closer to New York than, you know, I was down in San Diego and Encinitas and places like that. And then down in downtown San Diego and out in Escondido and Oceanside and Del Mar and people like to hang there. It's a whole different vibe and uh, they're friendlier, uh, not overtly friendly, but if you ask somebody a question, they stop, they listen to you, they give you a good answer as they will in New York, but uh, less paranoid. Um, and it's just a matter of circumstances, in my opinion, why it's different. Um, but I'm going to be blogging about that because, to me, there was a, a lot of really discernible differences um, in San Diego lifestyle uh, versus New York style, and even in the city. You know, there is a booming downtown in San Diego now. They have these high-priced condos. They're beautiful. They're the prices that the New York condos were about 10 years ago. So you can still get in there elsewhere in Southern California. There's no real deals to be had. Like you get in New York, if you move to the right area at the right time, you can get a deal and your property value will double in like within a decade. Not so much in Southern California. It's really built out unless you want to keep going further and further away from the coast <clears throat> into these bedroom communities. It's expensive out there. It's expensive to live out there, but you're paying for the weather. So anyhow, I'll be vibing about that. What else is happening uh, with football, fantasy football? My league has just, uh, we just had our draft. I was the only person not drinking. Well, one other guy didn't drink in the room. Um, actually, 
I think maybe two other guys didn't drink in the room. So we had a fun draft <laughs> and uh, I have not touched alcohol this entire year. I've gone on this diet that I've talked about on the show called the process of elimination diet, where I've eliminated something from my diet in aggregate every week. And um, it's 35 weeks into it. And uh, now I've got the hang of it and it's really going great. I've lost 20 pounds. I feel spectacular. And the first thing I stopped for the year was alcohol. And I thought that would be a real problem. And, you know, once in a while it is when you go out, you go to a Mexican restaurant, people are sitting across for you on a hot day and they're drinking ice cold margaritas. It's like, yikes, I'm, I'm thirsty. I'd like that, but you can't do it. And then you get past it. And then I've learned along the way some of the things that I miss and some of the things that I just forgot. And what happens is you really, um, when you do this, your body starts to lose the cravings for the bad things that you gave up, being healthier all around and more energetic. So that's that. I'll be riffing about that at uh, other points. Um, school, my son just started kindergarten, a whole new thing. They, uh, you know, they don't uh, help the kids with the food anymore. You bring them to school, you drop them off, you pick them up. It's a, it's a different ball game. My kid's in a dual language program. So the same kids are supposed to be in the same class for a couple of years. So that's good. He's got a great teacher, I think. And what else? Let's see. I've got iPhones. You guys have iPhones and new, new ones are coming out. I, I thought I had the longest living iPhone 5S. And I thought, well, let me see how long this thing can go. Well, either my battery's going or the last uh, update in software just crushed my uh, five, I, uh, my 5S. So fortunately, there's uh, three or four new iPhones coming out in a couple of weeks. So that'll be great. And I'm going to have to get one. So anyhow, so that's that's what's been going on. We've got a lot of great guests. I'm looking forward to talking to Jonathan. Let's take a very quick break. And then we'll be right back with our special guest, Jonathan Astley. You're listening to the Guys Guy Radio. Okay, we're back. Welcome back to Guys Guys Radio. So as I mentioned, we've got a, a guy who actually in his uh, bio on his website, he calls himself a guys guy, which is fantastic. And I think based on some of the experiences, particularly with, uh, you know, the loss of his child, he, he's a, a real man's man. So I'm excited about bringing him out here. And it's great talking to another guy about dating and about how we can help women out and about how men really are the good, the bad and the ugly. And you know what? It's not that bad, ladies. Guys aren't so bad. So I'm going to bring him out. I believe he's on the 310 area code. Somebody else is hanging on on hold, so we're going to bring that person on the caller on soon, but I, uh, I'm going to bring Jonathan on first. So he's, as I mentioned, Jonathan Astley. He's got a website, jonathanastley.com. He's a personal development coach. He specializes in dating relationships. Some of the topics that we'll talk about and he has on his site, he has coaching programs, uh, how to attract and spot commitment-ready men, Ways to avoid pushing men away, keys to unlocking a man's heart, why the problem with women is men. Lots of stuff that I'm sure women can relate to uh, that they run up against these weird, odd creatures called men. So let's bring Jonathan on to Guys Guys Radio right now. Good evening, Jonathan. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. And I thanks for being on the show. So as I mentioned, you are a personal development coach and uh, your specialization is dating relationships. And it seems like from looking at your work, Jonathan, your focus uh, is primarily not solely, but primarily on helping women in midlife kind of get a grip on what guys are all about and what guys are looking for. And some of our, you know, weird behavior and also kind of how to how to get into the swing of dating in midlife because a lot of times it's very tricky for people who haven't been in the scene for a while. Yeah, no, that is. And, and, and I'll share with you, I'm, I'm actually, since you mentioned the loss of my son, I'm, I'm even shifting my practice a little bit to be more expansive in the sense mm-hmm. of not just helping women, but helping those, just everybody navigate um, what I'd like to say is a better way to date, mate, and relate. So mm-hmm. while my emphasis for a long time has been women, um, it's more about connecting with self. And if to because when a person, I, I, I've, I've adopted a philosophy that when a person's love cup is full, they can actually love another from a less codependent place and then a more empowered mm-hmm. place. Okay. Um, yeah. 
let's uh, let's start with kind of uh, the beginning. How did you uh, find your calling to this type of work? What was your background? <laughs> when did you kind of make the turn? I mean, my, me, I'm corporate life, president of an ad agency, years in brand management, marketing. It's still where a lot of my passion is, but I'm finding this is the direction I'm being pulled in. This is the direction I'm going in, and I really love it. How about yourself? You sound like you have a corporate background. Well, yeah, I did. I had I was an insurance broker, corporate insurance broker for almost 20 or over 20 years. And after turning 40 and going through a divorce in 2005, I found myself back out in the dating realm. And there was this thing called Internet dating that was relatively new. And I thought, oh, you could simply plug exactly what you want, height, hair color, weight, blah, blah, blah. And someone would magically appear. And sure enough, I had one my first date, never forget. Had a great first date, great lady, but something wasn't right. And two days later, went out with another woman. Great date, nice lady, something wasn't right. And then again and again and again. And in one year, I had over 100 Internet dates. And I realized that the something wasn't right was me. So what was interesting, though, is throughout that whole process, I was communicating with women all across the country, sometimes mm-hmm. talking on the phone for two, three, four, five, six, seven. I had an eight-hour conversation once, I remember. And um, after a while, a lot of these women, I've just developed friendships. They'd call me up and say, hey, Jonathan, will you look at my profile, my dating profile, and help me make it better? So I'd give my advice on their profile. And sure enough, you know, after they did the changes, they call me up three weeks later. Hey, I met this guy online. Will you check out his profile and tell me what you think about him? And wow. I realized I kind of had a knack for navigating the, you know, helping women make better profiles for themselves and really kind of reading men. Um, I, I jokingly say I can spot the serial daters, the serial monogamists, the nice guys, the bad boys, and the one looking for you. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, I dated an internet marketer at that time, very famous, kind of a Tony Robbins type. And I lived her world for six months and I go, hey, I could be a personal development coach and threw up a website, you know, uh, and I'll say Mm -hmm. cheesy website at first, wrote a book about online dating, ebook on online dating. And then all of a sudden, like two weeks later, I get an email. Hey, would you like to be on a radio show? Two week after that, hey, would you like to audition for a TV show? Two weeks after that, would you like to be on a TV show? And I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) I was just kind of doing it as a hobby. This was 10 years ago, and, and, and since then, I've, you know, I've, I've been on television, including Katie Couric and NBC and CBS. I've been on the Huffington Post. I've written thousands of blogs, um, and, and I'm blessed to be you know, seen as one of the more leading re- dating and relationship coaches, specifically in the area of midlife, which I, I kind of – kind of, What's the word I'm looking for? Determine that it's after baby making years and before retirement. So I always say if you're 42 to 69, that's my age demographic. Not that that's an mm-hmm. absolute. <laughs> well, let's throw. Uh, we've got a caller. I'm gonna ask the caller to hold on a little bit more. Sure. Let me throw a provocative question at you. A lot of uh, sure. You know, it's an unspoken thing, but a lot of times people uh, they get married and then they have a baby and then things kind of uh, the romance part of the relationship kind of quiets down. A lot of women, not all, but a lot, uh, less interested in, uh, for some reason, for at certain times, less interested in the sexual part of the relationship. And a lot of the guys are still, you know, horn dogs all the way. And uh, it creates problems that, you know, they don't really share with their friends or anything, but it becomes an issue. Have you heard of this? Yes, I've heard of it. I, I think we have to look at the deeper issues that are going on for both men and women. Um, And that is, I I believe that certainly after divorce, there's, in in many cases, people are left with, say, a hole in their life um, from the perspective of companionship and this perspective of sex. So, you know, in many cases, people are trying to fill the void versus really coming at it from a conscious place of saying, I want to be in a relationship. I, I think I mentioned to you, I said I had 100 internet dates, and I realized mm-hmm. that something wasn't right with me. And what that meant was, I, I'd, I'd like to think I approached the dating process genuinely, but my motivation was sex, predominantly. Um, you know, for the most part, when a man chases a woman, 
and especially someone that they don't even know that well, you have to kind of ask, what's the motivation behind it? It's not, <laughs> I want to be in a relationship. I want to be in a relationship. I want romance and love. I mean, men don't operate that way. I mean, you're a guy's guy, so you know that we don't necessarily operate from that in our, you know, in our consciousness. It's more right. what's the driving force. And, and I'm not mm-hmm. suggesting all men are driven by sex. I'm just saying when someone pursues someone they barely know, you have to ask what's the deeper motivation. Now, it could be, it could be loneliness. It could be the need for companionship. It could be sex. Um, but a more healthier way to approach the process comes from patience, from, from a desire of really wanting to get to know someone. That is a more healthier way to approach the process. Got it. Um, let's take this call, and then we'll continue. And okay. If anybody else wants to call in, the number is 347-945-5834. 347-945-5834. I'm going to bring the caller on and ask for your name and what your question is for Jonathan. Good evening. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. Hello. Good evening. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. I'm going to give you one last shot. Good evening. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. You've been on hold for a while. Do you want to speak to Jonathan? I guess not. Okay. We're going to cut that call off. We're back to the show. All right. I guess some people don't have much to do. Uh, okay. Let's talk about dating in midlife. Um, what are some of the challenge that challenges that you find that the women you speak to have? when it comes to dating in midlife, getting back in the saddle, internet dating, et cetera. Oh God. I mean, do you have enough for like 10 shows for the next? You know? <laughs> no, I, know. I don't know if we have time to go through all of them. I, I think one of the, the greatest challenges is I'll piggyback to what I said is what are people really looking for? What do they really want? And interesting enough, I coach women and I speak to, hundreds of women on a regular, on a weekly basis, or at least it feels that way. Um, and women oftentimes don't know what they want. They want a relationship, but they want it at the 40,000 foot level and not necessarily at the baseline level. So as a coach, my, you know, my role is to help really uncover what are they really looking for beside the airy fairy aspect of a relationship. And, and so let me explain what I mean is by really having someone take a look at their deeper values, like what values matter most to you. And, and interesting enough, we'll, we'll use politics as an example, because you're in New York, I'm in Los Angeles, um, where I live happens to be a very predominant democratic um, state or, or, or area. And so I think if someone is highly liberal and they meet someone that's highly conservative as an example, and that's not absolute, they might have some challenges with their values. So, and I'm using that as one example of values. There's, there's 420 different values that one must look at and ask themselves, what are their core values and what's important to them as, as when choosing a mate is what I'm getting at. The other thing is, and this is hugely important. Uh, I'm going to talk about two things. One is compatible lifestyles. It fascinates me how many people enter in relationships that have completely incompatible lifestyles, and yet they have this belief that, well, if we love each other, we can just all make it work out. <laughs> well, and, yeah. and, they, and, and yet, you know, especially these are long-distance type of relationships. And in Los Angeles, 10 miles away is a long distance relationship, right? Um, you know, because you because it takes an hour Traffic, to get 10 right. miles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm saying that tongue in cheek and yet blendable or compatible lifestyles is hugely important. And then the third piece, and this is besides, and I just talked about values, compatible lifestyles. The third piece is emotional maturity. Um, and I'm talking, what I mean is, are you really, are you really in relationship with an emotional grown-up, someone that takes personal responsibility for their choices, someone whose actions match their words, someone who acts as a victor, not a victim? Sadly, here in the United States, we have a majority of people sucking on the, the nipple of victimhood. Um, it's obvious, evident by 
reading Facebook posts on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So what I always talk about is really start paying attention to signs. Is someone coming from a victim consciousness? So, and I don't mean victim in the sense of you got robbed or victim as you've been abused. I'm talking about that everything happens to me instead of for me consciousness. So, and they're often blaming the other party. And so that along with chemistry, because that's kind of the, the element that, you know, is the, feels like the spark in the missing link. You know, those are the four pillars to a successful relationship. Um, shared values, blendable lifestyles, emotional maturity, and chemistry or attraction. Who do you think, Jonathan, has a tougher time dating mid midlife? Is it the ladies or the guys or both? Well, I, I guess we have to kind of decide what the word tough means, but I, I think it's more the person with the closed and bitter mindset is the one that's going to have the tougher time. Someone who comes from a place of compassion, a place of understanding, acceptance, appreciation is going to have a better um, experience than that person that's closed-minded, bitter, jaded, or those people that are either in fear or in ego. So, for example, there's an element of dating both men and women act very entitled. In other words, I, I deserve to be in a relationship, and this is how I deserve it to be. That's, a, that's an ego-based way. Or there are people in fear. I don't feel worthy of a relationship. I'm insecure. I'm needy. I'm codependent. Those are usually fear-based. So those are the people that are going to have the toughest time versus those that operate from a place of uh, acceptance, appreciation, um, um, at, you know, giving, you know, being open to giving attention and coming from a place of being able to give and receive love. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk about trust. I like this trust through listening. Um, talk to us about that <laughs> as a key component to making things happen the way you want it to happen. You know, when I shared that post, <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm reflecting back now. What I was really getting at is listening isn't just hearing words. It's actually being able to contribute to the conversation. So listening, one of the fundamentals of listening is that when someone shares something with you, is you basically, for better, for lack of a better word, regurgitate what they've just said or either acknowledge or validate what they've just said. And that's rather than respond, reacting. Many people communicate from a place of reaction versus responding. And a person who listens responds to uh, dialogue and communication. And when someone comes from a place of response versus reaction, which is oftentimes defensive or critical or judgmental, that's how one builds trust in a relationship. Okay. Another one way uh, of building trust. <laughs> got it. Another uh, provocative thing you mentioned is flight risk. Um, so when women are kind of qualifying guys, uh, you mentioned there's seven warning signs signs of Mr. Wrong, which is fantastic, and also flight risk. So can you talk to us a little bit and uh, to the ladies out there a little bit about well, what are some of these warning signs and also about flight risk? I love that term. You know, I I I I, I I look at that as what I call, uh, you know, um, dropping your escape clauses, in, you know, in advance, you know, it, it, it kind of things like comments like, oh, I'm just looking for a casual relationship is, is kind of setting up your escape clause is in, in another way of a flight risk is that um, be really mindful to pay attention to someone's words when it comes to discussing um, the idea of a deeply serious long-term committed relationship. How are they approaching it? Are they approaching it ambivalently or are they approaching it with some consciousness, with some forethought? So for example, what I share with my clients when, when they're communicating with a man and they say, Oh, I'm looking for a relationship. Ask the question, well, what does that look like for you? Mm -hmm. What does that look like for you? So, and I'll, I'll give you an example. So if a woman asks me that question, this is how I would respond. Um, and I'm talking about the initial stages. Let's just talk about the first three months to a year. This is what I would think of. I would say, I'm looking for a relationship where we spend three or four days and nights together weekly. 
um, doing shared activities, hobbies, and mutual interests, spending time with family and friends, and building towards um, a level of teamwork. So, for example, if uh, you needed a ride to the airport and it's 4 a.m., you know, I plan on taking you and I'm going to give you the best goodbye kiss before you get on the plane. That's demonstrating teamwork. So, and, mm-hmm. and so that's how I know the kind of relationship, what it looks like for me. Now, for women, I, I suspect, and I can't say this is always the case, but ask that man a question, and he's going to be deer in the headlights. Sadly, most men and or women, Thank you, right. quite frankly, don't know what they want by what it looks like. And let me give you an example, Robert, is that oftentimes women call me up and they're in relationship with a guy. It could be six months, a year, five years. And they call me up and, Jonathan, I want more commitment from my relationship. I'm like, great. What does that look like? Well, but Jonathan, I just want more commitment from my relationship. I'm like, great. But what does that look like? But Jonathan, I just want more commitment from my relationship. And I always say, if you can't describe what that looks like for me, how can you just, how can a man ever fulfill what you're looking for? Mm -hmm. I almost suggest looking at a calendar and saying, describe what it looks like like on a on an annual basis, what do you want to have it look like? I hope I'm making sense here. Absolutely, interesting. Um, let's uh, shift gears a little bit to technology because uh, nowadays, okay. you know, in business, you know, we meet usually we meet people online first, and then we see if we can uh, set up meetings face to face and close a deal. It's the same thing with dating. Yet a lot of people. Fewer and fewer nowadays, uh, because uh, online dating is the norm, uh, are connecting online. And um, but from my experience, uh, when I was single, I met my life, my wife actually, on Match.com. She she winked at me, and we had a date, and we've been together ever since. And I had been dating for a while on Match.com. I had all my rules set up, um, but I broke them when I met my wife. How how do you see uh, technology being you know friend instead of foe? How can it how do, how do you advise your clients of how to how to how to make technology a utilitarian tool instead of something that takes over your life? Oh well, I think we have to look at the fact that we know you know people these days don't meet organically especially for those in my age demographic so right. uh, as readily as they did once when they were in their 20s I, and i, I want to share an example of this my son Please. my oldest son who just graduated college he was in an environment 30,000 students you know 15,000 women interacting with women all the time well now he's come home from school and he's at home and he's like oh my god i don't know any women you know? <laughs> I mean, short of maybe going to a bar or something like that. So right. it, it, so at one time there was proximity as the primary, you know, in other words, peop, they were in your purview. They were literally within your sight to see single eligible people. Ironically, I live in a condo complex. I'm overlooking the ocean right now as we speak with 600 people. I don't know any of my neighbors. Mm-hmm. The most fantastic woman in the world could literally live across the way from me, and I wouldn't know it. So what's happened is technology has created an opportunity for us to meet people that we wouldn't otherwise meet in our daily lives. And yet here's the thing. As a percentage of single eligible people, probably only 10 or 15% are actively using the, the, the cyber mediums, if you will, So right off the bat, that leaves a big percentage of people that are not on there. So one has to almost become a little bit of a detective. And and, and I think one of the most important things is learning how to screen people. And what I mean by screening, I mean vetting. Mm -hmm. So so now you said that your wife didn't meet your, you know, was kind of, even though you met online, she didn't meet your initial, um, I don't know the word you used. Okay, I'm just I had curious. my whole yeah, I had my own set of rules where I would yeah. I would if some, a woman contacted me, it didn't matter if she winked or sent a note whatever. If I met a woman, if I reached out, I made sure I wrote a little note, mentioned something in her profile, back and forth yeah. once twice and then suggested a phone call because when you get the phone call, the energy changes and then you meet in person for a coffee or drink or whatever and then you see what happens from there. Well, when I with my wife, she had gotten a free uh her sister convinced her to take a free 
uh, three-day trial on match and she okay. me. I liked her profile. I wrote to her. I mentioned something in her profile. She wrote back. She said, let's meet. And I said, well, why don't we have a phone call? And she's like, oh, we don't need that. And I thought about it and I'm like, you know what? I have all these rules, but you know, they're just rules I made up because it makes my life easier. And even though they're, they're a good idea, do something different. So I said, okay, let's just meet. And we're together. We're married eight years. So, so I guess it worked, but the, the point is really, you know, rules are great, but rules are also made to be broken. And it's just a matter of uh, going with your gut a little bit, doing the qualifying and then uh, just meet up. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work. Sure. Out. And, <clears throat> and, and, and I would say that, you know, uh, <laughs> there's always the exception to the rule, right? But yep, there, exactly. basically you created a rule for yourself that allowed you to be a little bit more discerning and maybe it in all those other instances you saved yourself you know hours upon hours and a lot of dollars but then your intuition said you know what i'm going to break my rule in this particular case now here's where i would have i would have cautioned you if you broke Mm -hmm. your rule on a value if you broke your rule on true compatibility issues okay that's oftentimes Mm -hmm. where people get in trouble they break their rule, and I don't even want to say rules. It's it's more of their must-haves, in right. in the way of because that's really compromising or really settling on a boundary, if you will. Because where most people break their rules is on their deal breakers. For example, you know this is mm-hmm. person's a great person, but they're a heavy-duty smoker. But I'm going to break my rules because she's hot and she's sexy right. and she meets all these things. And yet my value isn't the smoking; it's the value on health. And so when you break that rule, you oftentimes are compromising or settling. And trust right. me, there's always going to be a gnawing thing. So the rule of and, – and by the way, I appreciate what you shared, and I'm not judging it by saying, mm. you know, you really – I'm not trying to make it sound like this, you know, small rule. But I, I do want to – for your listeners is really pay attention to your values and emotional maturity and lifestyle capability, you know, capabilities or uh, compatibility. Really be more discerning in those areas uh, yes, as, I as totally far as agree. versus being rigid or, you know, rule breaking and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the thing was the, the, the values were all, uh, you know, even on the surface were seen to be in place. And I, I asked myself this question, which I think it's an important thing because a lot of times with digging, we all get very analytical. And at a certain point I break it down to this, does it feel right? And is dating a fun sport or not? And, it has to be a little bit of fun. So I figured, you know what? There's got to be a little mystery. There's got to be a little romance. Just go ahead. It's a meeting. It's not, you know, it's, it feels right. Do it. And sometimes we have to just throw caution to the wind a little bit. Do the vetting and all of that initially. But you can't find everything out when you're going back and forth online. So, hey, you know what? If you skip a phone call, all right. If you meet her in person, uh, she has a weird voice. You'll either get over it or not. But... You know, you're going to have a different well, energy exchange. I, I, you're just going to skip, skip a step. Yeah, and here's where I – and by the way, I'm in full agreement with you. I am also believe that the first phone call is the first date, and there's a real mm-hmm. validity to doing it. Um, yeah. because, and, and sometimes even the email or text exchanges are very valuable. For example, I have That's a young true. man who I know. He's 33 years old, and a couple, he, does, he asks some serious questions. Um, and one of them being is, do you have a job and are you in debt? I mean, ask a very serious question. Now, now here's the thing. That might offend a woman. And, and she might feel, well, that's being too personal. But really, is, I mean, is it really, it's, truthfully, is it that big of a deal to answer? And frankly, the right woman wouldn't be offended by that question. The right person wouldn't be offended by some direct questions because I always say, if it's sincere and from the heart, you can never say the wrong thing to the right person. So, yes, we could say, well, you know, well, you know, they got offended by it. Well, that's probably because they're misaligned anyway, if it comes from your heart. So I'm a, like, and I'll share with you an example. I was inter- interacting with a woman uh, recently through a dating app, and I asked, I, I brought up something related to her, her profile, and I shared from an absolute authentic, transparent, even vulnerable place, she deleted my message. And what I realized was, 
I save myself a telephone call. I save myself the time to get ready for a date, meeting for a date, and most likely paying for it because that's the traditional expectation. Um, do I feel like I've missed out on the love of my life? No, because anyone that's so crass that delete my profile without asking a deeper question why, she wouldn't fit my, my level of you know, intellectual curiosity. Right, I hear you. I, I would... I would say about the gentleman, uh, you know, one of your clients that, you know, you can, there's ways of finding out if somebody's working without saying, do you have a job? Uh, you can find that out. Well, that's I, one by, the way, I, by the way, I paraphrase what, not, I mean, mm-hmm. I, by the way, he's a dating coach. So <laughs> for men, and he didn't say it just that way. I was saying it that okay. way for, and, for and, the, and, it was, and by the way, it's different I, between, then let me just say this. It, there's a difference between confrontation and conversation, right, which right, I totally right. agree. If it's conversational, it's different. Yeah. Cause you can usually ferret out a lot of that stuff. The other thing is on the debt thing. Cause debt is something that, you know, the, it's like how different there's different truth is truth, but there's different types of debt. You could have debt that's manageable. You could have no debt and then you, know, you could be really, you know, sunk and it's hard to, uh, you know, I think you're going to something like that. That's a little bit much before you even meet. Um, I, I don't know how you get at that, get a straight answer on that because everybody's situation is financially is completely different. So that's a tricky one. That's all I would say about that. Well, you know what? In his, but his inexperience was his past experience. That was an issue. So obviously it's important to him to mm-hmm. assess that. And by the way, it is a pretty serious question, but you know what? And, and it doesn't mean it's a deal breaker because some, what if someone says, yeah, I've got $20,000 of student loans. I'm paying it off and I'm doing this. If that shows a level of responsibility. So it's actually, mm-hmm. I believe and Robert, I believe the deeper the question, and when you ask why someone asks the deep question, that is a level of, of intimacy. And I don't mean intimacy in the word sex. It means into me see. And right. in the dating realm, everybody, and not everybody, let me reframe that. A lot of people approach the process very surface-like. It's about fun and romance. And one of the reasons why people are habitually going after date, after date, after date, after date, and I mean with different people, and people Mm -hmm. are having relationship after relationship after relationship, is that they're not going deep right from the beginning. And I know we could approach the process very surface and hope, you know, roll the dice and hope that everything works out. Or you just be authentic, transparent, and vulnerable because the right person is going to appreciate that. Yeah, I would agree. That and you any, eliminate any qu- the wrong person a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. I think any questions, uh, you know, there's no question it's not off limits, but it's how it's uh, ser- served up. If you oh, want to find great. out about somebody's financial situation, there's ways of ferreting it out. Um, and if that's, that's a By the way, very- he said it completely in a joking fashion, and she thought mm-hmm. it was cute, the girl he's dating right now. So, <laughs> All right. Well, whatever, whatever you know, whatever works. Um I just I I think though it's, it's, point, it's important. not really his question. I'm talking about the bigger point here. Right. Yeah. But let's not. Uh, you know, the the the, the fun and romance thing is. Uh, I think that is something that sometimes, when we get deep quickly, that sometimes that loses. I, I think the the mystery, the romance, the fun, those are those are those are worthwhile values in in when it comes to making a connection with somebody. I think. Um, you have to have that well, spirit going. I know you don't I want to said. waste. I know. Let me finish. I don't. I know you don't want to. You know, people don't want to waste time. But yeah, I've been on dates. You know, through the internet and everything, and it was like I felt like I was, you know, applying for a job at Goldman Sachs. It's like it's a little bit much. Like if that's, but I knew. Okay, this is where this person was at. So that was fine. It's just, you know, to me, I'd rather. I would want to get to know the person a little more and. uh, just keep it, keep it a little bit light at the beginning, but everybody has a different approach to it. So this is my, uh, well, two cents. again, no, and I appreciate that. And if I mischaracterize it, let me just say, if it's only about the fun and romance without going deeper is where I was right. coming from without mm-hmm. really getting to know a person, actually, sadly, most human beings 
have, have a very weak skill set at learning how to get to know another human being, partly because they don't know how to ask good questions, and they don't know mm-hmm. how to ask the more important question, why? Why questions gives you insight into a person's value. So, for example, you know, um, you live with your parents. Why? And well, it might be that you're regrouping your life. You might, I'm just using something that would be a sure. turnoff to most people. But if you actually looked at the person's why, there might be a deeper reason as to that that might not be as much of a turnoff as an example. Okay? Gotcha. So asking that, it's, it's really there, – there's, I'm trying to – because here's the thing I'm trying to convey to your listeners is we can go about the dating process with fun and romance and just be all surface and la-di-da and roll the dice and hope that two people are a good fit. Or you can approach it both, you know, um, from a perspective of, do I want to get this know this human being, this person, on a both friendship level along with having a good time and seeing if we share the same values, seeing if we have compatible lifestyles while having a good time. I do believe romance, however, is reserved for people in relationship and not in the dating process. Now, I know I'm very stickler on this because romance fogs the glasses. And, and again, you, you have to understand, I'm seeing this through the lens of a lot of hurt women. women. And by the way, and this is such a big number that it's not something to ignore. And so mm-hmm. there's an old saying, men are the gas, women are the brakes. And, <laughs> again, I believe romance should be reserved for when you say, hey, let's, be, let's, be in a, let's begin the process of getting to know each other on an exclusive monogamous basis. Then we can have romance. Now, I, go, I know that sounds almost contrary. Well, it is contrary, and let's just be real here. But there's a reason for it. Because a woman could get attached to a man that might not be right for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, though, a lot of women are looking as part of the process that uh, they want the, the, that mystery, that romance to be part of it. So it's not quite so clinical, if you will. And like, OK, now you can start doing romance. I don't know if women are wired that way. I know a lot of women have been hurt. Well, a lot first of off, they're not wired in that they're, no, that's 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 no, that's a that's a societal thing. That's not a wiring thing. I mean, caveman didn't go, hey, let me bring you flowers and fuck you from behind because that's what they really did. Excuse me, <laughs> I'm being blunt mm-hmm. here. But cavemen weren't romantic. Okay, so that's not a hard wiring. That's a societal expectation based on romance novels and mu- movies and such. I'm by the well, way, culture. I am in no thing. means suggesting there shouldn't be romance. I'm a right. I'm I, I'm a huge hopeful romantic but i think romance should be reserved when two people say hey i want to actually spend time with you versus hey i'm just i'm doing the sniff test right now as i'm kind of contemplating who i'm going to choose got it how about then sex (laughs) on the first date uh I mean, I'm not here to judge people's, you know, choices. Uh, if you, here's the thing about sex on a first date for the women clients that I coach. If you can feel fully detached afterwards, meaning if you never see him again and you're not going to have the oxytocin, you know, grinding for him because you're mm-hmm. literally like you just did crack cocaine, you're more than welcome to do it for the experience. I'm not here to suggest anything. I will sure. say, though. It takes about 100 hours of belly-to-belly time. Well, let me reframe that. Face-to-face. Belly-to-belly could sound different. So face-to-face time to truly get to know another human being. It takes about 100 hours. Mm -hmm. And and that includes, you know, some telephone calls and things like that. So I'm, I'm not suggesting you wait 100 hours to have sex. But imagine if people didn't cavalierly jump into bed so much and actually took the time to get to know one another, there wouldn't be the need for my job. Mm -hmm. I hear you. Um, I wanted, I know you got to jump, but um, I was so moved by by your, uh, your experience with losing a a son. And I believe he was around, what was around 17? He was 19. 19. Okay. Just turned 19. Um, Yeah. What can you uh, share with our listeners uh, that they can take away uh, those who may have experienced something similar or those who may have to face something like that in the future? Hmm. I think you handled it really in a wonderful way. I think it's, uh, you know, something that needs to be shared. 
Well, I, I can only share from my personal experience. And, and thankfully, my son didn't die at the hand of someone else. It wasn't a drunk driver that hit him. It wasn't mm-hmm. cancer. He, he died in a, uh, peacefully in his sleep, um, we, we believe, due to a brain condition. So, mm-hmm. um, and so one is, you know, I fully have accepted what's happened. So I'm not sitting here um, in you know, bargaining to God and change, you know, asking for something different. So I moved to acceptance rather quickly. And what I'm choosing to do is grieve through love. Let me Mm -hmm. say that one more time. I'm choosing to grieve through love. And what I mean by that is many people choose to grieve through pain and suffering. Right. In other words, they, they are in a place of inner suffering and they feel as though they don't have a choice. And, you know, Speak to any parent, most people would, especially parents of young children, would say the most devastating thing that could happen in my life is losing my child. And for years, for 19 years, I said that habitually. In other words, I I lived a life of worrying about something happening to them. And so in some ways, I think I did 19 years of suffering before it ever happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I understand. And choosing to grieve through love is, is, is just loving myself through the process. And I'll share with you, Robert, it's kind of interesting because when I posted the loss of my son, um, the sympathy was beyond uh, the, the, the amount of genuine, pure sympathy that I received was beyond beautiful. I cannot begin to tell you how amazing, you know, the world has been, if you will, and I've got somewhat of a public persona. It's also very seductive. Sympathy can be very seductive. And I've I've made a choice not to fall into that trap of playing or being a victim, if you will, and then feeding off the sympathy. In other words, so um, I I hope you're tracking where I'm going here, is that um, I want to grieve the loss of my son through love, through connection, through gratitude, through being present. And, and one of the things unique about my son, and his name is, is Connor. Um, Connor, you know, was fearless. I mean, this kid, you know, some kids are just fearless, you know, whether it might be right. sports related or other things. He just had a fearless attitude, but he also had an attitude that no one can fuck with his chi. Mm-hmm. And what I mean to say is if you didn't like him, he didn't act as if it mattered. He really cared about how he felt about himself. So I've adopted a little bit of what I call my inner Connor. And that is, uh, you know, you know, I'm not going to let your opinion of me affect how I feel about me. Mm-hmm. And I'm being a little bit more fearless. So I'm actually now in the process of writing two new books. One is specifically centered around self love and how to nurture oneself, because I believe if it wasn't for all the self love work that I've done, I wouldn't be prepared to, to grieve through love. It took a lot of work Got to it. get here. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a big proponent of self-help, personal development for those who want to achieve what I call inner peace. And, and through inner peace, I believe you have the, the opportunity to live a, a, a happier life. And so well uh, said. I'm blessed. And, I, you know, his loss on some level is going to be my greatest blessing. And, and I still cry. cried earlier today. I miss, I miss the shit. I really do. Mm-hmm. I liked my son. I like both my sons. But, you know, some people love – I love my children, but I also liked him. And mm-hmm. I miss that. Gotcha. Well, thank you for sharing. And I totally feel you on that. And it's a great message that you're uh, – you. and you, you need to write a book or something about – got to get – got to take that and – really make it something as beautiful as well, it, the book it will be out be this year. The book will be Good. out this year. Well, let me know. We'll get yeah. you back on to talk about it. All right. Thank you. So uh, Thank you. why don't you tell our audience where they can find you uh, some of the coaching programs that you have and some of the uh, offerings that you have and ways to work with you. Well, first off, Robert, I want to thank you. I, I hope You're I welcome. didn't seem combative with you. No, 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 no. no. I, I do Listen, have contrarian I, views. So, I like um, you. I like that. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. I think it's fantastic. Um, so, so we're for those listening, my name is Jonathan Asley. I'll spell my last name out to make it easy. It's A S L A Y. If you can, if you Google me, you'll find my website. If you, you know, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter and all those juicy places. I have a YouTube channel now that I'm really starting to um, 
um, add a lot of content. And again, I do believe there's a better way to date, mate, and relate, and my views are different than most out there. And if it resonates with you, great. And if it doesn't, you know what? I'm, you know, it's just a, it's an opinion. There is no such thing as right or wrong. It's what feels right for you. And that's my mm-hmm. suggestion to everyone. All right. Well said. And it's JonathanAsley.com? Yes. Okay. Fantastic. Well, listen, it's been my pleasure to host you. Um, uh, good insights. No worries on the contrarian viewpoint. That's the idea. We <laughs> want to hear all different ways of going about it. And I'm always looking to learn. And uh, I learned some stuff this evening. So thanks. And I'm sure my uh, listeners are very appreciative of your insights. And uh, we'll keep track of you and let me know when your book's ready. And we'll, come, we'll, we'll bring you back on the show, Jonathan. Well, Robert, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're a great interviewer, by the way. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. I, I, I really appreciate that. All right. Very good. I'll let, you, I'll let you jump because I know you've got to go. And you've been a great guest. So thank you, Jonathan. Jonathan Astley, everybody. Okay. Let's take a quick break, and then I'll do a quick uh, guys, guys, guide, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it. The guys, guys, radio. All right, we're back. Uh, just a quick wrap up. Uh, I'm going to be blogging about my New York versus San Diego uh, insights soon, so I'm not going to get too deep into that. But actually, I I do a monthly column with uh, Cupid's Pulse. I've been doing it with. Uh, the aforementioned the Susanna Oshima, and now she's going to be moving off doing some other stuff. So I'm going to have a column called Ask the Guys Guy on Cupid, Cupid's Pulse. And <clears throat> it's focused on basically di- digital dating and issues, uh, you know, that men and women come up with. And I'm going to give them kind of the guy's perspective. So the first question that came up that I'm going to be submitting tomorrow is about how do you move that online connection to offline? And as I had mentioned earlier with Jonathan, you know, a lot of dating is, it's similar to, to business where, you know, you connect online and then you got to meet the person face to face and close the deal, whether it's a business deal transaction or it's dating, nothing's going to happen unless you meet in person. I mean, you can do some stuff. You can order CDs or, or whatever, or clothes from Amazon or groceries online. But if you want to make a real connection, you're probably going to have to meet face to face. And to me, that's a really good thing because if you're, if you hope to have a relationship, you got to get offline to online quickly. Jonathan had mentioned having some long conversations uh, prior to meeting people. I had done the same thing when dating online. And what I learned was you could have a great connection uh, on the phone or even with the correspondence. And, uh, but it doesn't matter because the second you meet, everything changes. The energy changes. So you've got a couple of different types of energy at play. One is the energy of just connecting. How do you relate to each other based on your profile? That's the online correspondence. My suggestion, keep it short, stay positive, stay interested, nothing negative, just want to learn a little more. And very quickly, if things feel right, offer, what I would do is, I forgot, as a guy, offer the woman my number. This way she knows that I had nothing to hide. Here's my phone number. And invariably, if she was interested, she'd send me her number. And then I would make the call to make it easier for her. Um, because ladies do like guys to be on the chase. Uh, and the hunt, uh, it still feels good. People want to be wanted. And, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's a guy. So, you know, you can, you can pick, you can go for it. It's, it's a good thing. And then from there, um, you have to, uh, have a quick phone call. Now I told you I broke my rule and I met my wife without the phone call. So if everything feels good and the other person doesn't want to have a phone call, just wants to meet, then you have to trust your gut. I think in most cases you want to hear the person's voice that sets up another level of energetic connection and it's good. And you'll get a feeling of like, I like the sound of her voice. I'm connecting that way. There is an energy, uh, an audio energy. So do that. But again, I, I would not suggest because I've done this uh, a long, too long a conversation. No, you want to make it short and sweet, not too short. You want to be interested and have a nice conversation, but 15 minutes, wrap it up. And then if it feels right, Ask for ask to see the person, and then when you see the person, make it something easy, convenient, location-wise. Uh, nothing too crazy out of the box. It's just something in their profile, or something she's mentioned <clears throat> that she likes to do, or a place she likes to go, or someplace near her office or whatever. Do that, and if you have to go out of the way a little bit to get there, it's the first time. If you're interested, show her that you're willing to 
make that little trek for her. That's, that's, I guess, a form of romance without, you know, that doesn't have to be, romance doesn't have to be flowers and poems and chocolates. It can be the little things. And very often it is. And believe me, guys, women pay attention to the little things. So if you can go out of your way a little bit and not make a big deal out of it, uh, then do it. And then when you meet the person in person, then all bets are off because you can't control chemistry. Stay positive. It doesn't seem to be working out. Wrap it up. You never know, though, somebody who may not become your mate romantically could become a friend. I have some friends, women I've met on Facebook, and they're great people, and they had introduced me to other women. So, you know, just be nice. People are people. It's always good to meet new people. They could be helpful in business. They could be just good people to meet. It's not really wasting time. And if it's a, if you just feel like it's not happening and it's a complete dud, then, uh, then you'll know quickly. And then just be a gentleman. Offer to pick up the check if you set up the date. If it's a drink or whatever, it's no big deal. And then uh, make sure the woman has an opportunity to find transportation, whether it's Uber or however she's going to get home. But be a gentleman about it and uh, then wash your hands and keep going. It's as simple as that. Just be a, be a guy's guy. What's a guy's guy? Casual confidence. Unassuming strength a seductive type of integrity, emotional intelligence, style, timeless style, and be fun. That's our show for this evening. I'm back next Tuesday with a special guest, Peter Bernardi. He's got a great book on uh, pain, chronic pain and dealing with it, and I think it'll be a big help to everybody. So thanks for uh, listening. This is Robert Manny, and as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first.